And we are concluding our series, What About the Kids? Uh, in this series, we've seen uh, that when it comes to faith in Jesus, kids are vital. Uh, the Bible values uh, faith of children. The Bible uses the faith of children to teach the rest of us what faith is supposed to look like. Um, week one, we talked about how kids matter, how kids represent what God is looking for, how God values us humbling ourselves to the lowly position of children. Um, God values childlike trust. Uh, God wants us to nurture childlike faith and humility. And then week two was about kids' potential, um, where kids are the church of today, not simply the church of the future. And regardless how old any of us may be, um, God is calling us to something next. He has something else in store for us, regardless of how old we may be. And just as we see potential in kids, God sees potential in us. Uh, last week, Brett highlighted um, impressing faith upon kids. Uh, we need to both internalize our faith and use visible and verbal reminders to impress our faith on the kids. This morning, uh, what we need to realize is that our time with the kids is limited. Uh, we do not have endless opportunities to build faith in kids. More than any other age group, kids are most receptive to faith. Um, now, childhood, it's not the only time that we're open to faith, uh, but kids represent a time of receptivity to the faith uh, in Christ that we need to capitalize on. Um, it's why, and we believe that here at TFRC, and it's why we have four staff members and over 100 volunteers uh, dedicated to children and youth ministry, why we're sending over 140 kids to summer camp um, this summer. In fact, the middle school kids left uh, for summer camp uh, last night, and I hear they're in Fresno. That's where they're headed. They're about two hours out from where they need to be. They're going to get there about two o'clock. Um, so it's a little more than two hours. Anyway, um, our preschool daycare school program has over 130 kids in it. Uh, there's 20 over 20 staff a part of that. Uh, VBS is coming in July. We're expecting two to 300 kids to be a part of that. Any given week, 80 to 90 middle school and high school students come to youth group. We've, been, we've begun constructing our new building, which is super exciting. It's going to increase our children's capacity by 50%, as well as provide space for adults and a full-service kitchen. Kids matter here at TFRC. And the time is right to impress faith on them. Uh, the scripture this morning comes from Mark chapter 10. Uh, you can go ahead and turn there in your Bibles. Uh, Mark, it's the second book in the New Testament. You can also uh, look it up on your phones if you would like. Um, the story that we're about to read is a story about a time when Jesus gets indignant. Um, the Greek word for indignant is aganakteo. It's the only time that this particular word is ever applied to Jesus in Scripture. Now, other times in Scripture, Jesus will get angry and frustrated and exasperated, um, but indignation is anger when someone else is treated unfairly. And the only time that Jesus is recording getting indignant when he sees someone being treated unfairly is this story. Um, our scripture reader is Addison Kramer, and so Addison, please make your way on up to the podium, and as she does so, I'm going to ask if you are able, please stand and face the center of the room. Uh, we read from the center of the room to remind us that scripture is to be central in our lives, and we stand because we believe that this is the word of God. And so Addison, whenever you are ready, please read from Mark chapter 10, verses 13 to 16. 
People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. But the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of God is, belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them and blessed them. Addison, great job. Thank you very much. You may be seated. You know, one thing that I'm a sucker for is trivia kind of stuff. Um, and I love learning um, origins of certain idioms, you know, uh, idioms, different sayings that we say all the time. We don't even know where they come from most of the time. Things like saved by the bell or the whole nine yards or it's raining cats and dogs or bite the bullet. You know, um, where do those idioms come from? I love learning that kind of stuff. Uh, one idiom that I just researched for this morning is the idiom window of opportunity. Now, there are some idioms that date back hundreds of years. This particular phrase, window of opportunity, is not that old. It originated with the NASA space program. Um, when NASA is launching a rocket into space, they need the weather to cooperate. Um, clear weather equals blue skies, and the blue skies form a window for the rocket launch. And so when the weather is favorable, there is a launch window. Uh, which is where the phrase window of opportunity comes from. See, so now you all know. You're welcome. Um, a window of opportunity is a limited time, though. Uh, you have a chance to do something in that window, and when the window is gone, your opportunity to do whatever that thing may be is gone as well. Uh, this is really true when it comes to investing. I want to see how many of us have missed investing windows of opportunity and um, this may depress some of you, but that's okay. We'll, we'll be all right, right? Now, uh, I want you to raise your hand if you had $100 in 1986. Raise your hand if you had $100 in 1986. Many of you are lying. That's okay. You're probably tired. You don't want to raise your hand. If you had invested that $100 in Microsoft in 1986, it'd be worth $266,000 today. Congratulations if you missed the window. All right, how many of you had $100 in 1997? Raise your hand if you had $100 in 1997. Okay, if you had invested that $100 in Amazon in 1997, you would have $230,000 today. Congratulations if you missed that window. How many of you had $100 in 2015? Yes, okay. If you had invested that $100 in Bitcoin in 2015, it would be worth $14,000 today. It's not bad. Now, how many of you had $100 a year ago today? Yeah, uh-huh. If you had invested that $100 a year ago today in Bitcoin, it'd be worth 400 bucks. That's like quadruple. Quadruple in one year. What else are you going to do to quadruple your money in one year? I don't know. Now, please don't read. Pastor Chuck said we should invest in Bitcoin. That's not what I'm saying. Okay, it's a high-risk investment. If you would have put $100 in Bitcoin in April, you'd have $50 today, just so you know. Um, now, the window of opportunity, it applies to faith as well. We all have times in our lives when we are more open to faith, times of either distress or loss or uncertainty. They all make us open to faith. They are windows of opportunity for faith. Childhood in particular is a time when we tend to be very open to faith. 
We are impressionable. We are trusting. We naturally believe in something bigger than ourselves. Why? Because as kids, everything is bigger than us, right? There is a window of opportunity to impress faith upon kids. But like every window of opportunity, it's limited. We do not have forever. We want to make the most of this window. And this passage gives us insight into how we can do that. When it comes to maximizing this window of opportunity to impress faith in Jesus on our kids, the first thing we have to do is simply bring the kids. Bring the kids. Going back to verse 13 of the passage, it says, people were bringing little children to Jesus for him to take it to, for him to place his hands on them. They brought the kids. It's very simple. Bring them. <laughs> How do you do that? Well, for starters, um, just bring them to church. Sunday mornings, Wednesday nights, VBS, uh, summer camps, other summer events, things like Meals and Wheels, or hikes that they do with the kids, or water fun days. The more the kids are here, the more they will have the opportunity to learn about and meet Jesus. Faith in Jesus will be something they grow up with, or at least grow up around. They will interact with other kids and other adults who believe in Jesus. As I said in week one of the series, if we want faith to be a normal part of our kids' lives, then we need to make faith a normal part of our kids' lives. In addition to bringing them to church, as Brett talked about last week, you can read the Bible at home with them. You can pray with them. You can tell them about how you see God in your life. If you were to simply take 30 seconds, literally 30 seconds, to read one verse or say a quick prayer or even do something like each night before bed, you tell your kids what God the Father told Jesus at his baptism. You are my son or daughter whom I love. With you I am well pleased. You do that each night from the time they are three to the time they are 18 and you will have spent 50 hours impressing faith on your kids. 30 seconds, sit. I would like each of us to just kind of go down memory lane for a second. And I want you to talk about, now let's maintain social distancing. You don't have to get up and walk around. But maybe just with someone close to you or even the person sitting right next to you, I want you to talk about a positive childhood Christmas memory. Okay? For me, I remember things like decorating the tree with my mom or uh, family Christmas parties at our house, or midnight mass, or singing in Christmas children's choir at uh, school. Share with someone close to you, meaning pro in proximity of you, um, a positive Christmas memory. Take like a minute to do that and go. Positive Christmas memory from your childhood. It's gotta be from your childhood. Hey, when our kids are older, when our kids are older, they are gonna have childhood memories too. When they're 50 and they start thinking about their childhood, they're gonna have childhood memories. How many of those childhood memories will be positive memories of church and faith? For the kids that we see running around here at TFRC, you know who's gonna determine how many positive memories these kids will have of church and faith? We will. Their memories that they have when they're 50 years old, we're the ones who determine what they are. 
And for those of you who are raising kids right now, um, you're probably tired, okay? Uh, you may be really busy. Uh, you may be wondering, is this ever going to end? And the answer is, yes, it will. It will. And this window of opportunity that you have will be over. Ecclesiastes 3.1 says, There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. What are we doing to impress faith on our kids in their season of childhood? Because when the season of childhood is over, it's over. There is no going back. Childhood is a strategic time to impress faith on kids. And it's why we invest in it so heavily here at TFRC. And so the first thing we do is we bring the kids. And then the second thing we do is something we don't do. Don't hinder the kids. Going back to the passage where it says, people were bringing little ch children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. But the disciples rebuked them. And when Jesus saw this, he was indignant, and he said to them, let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belong to such as these. The disciples rebuked the parents for bringing the kids to Jesus, and just think about this from the kids' point of view. They see their parents excited, they are being brought to a person of importance, they may or may not completely understand what's going on, but they do understand something cool is happening, and then someone starts rebuking their parents. What impact does that make on the kids? It's creating a negative childhood memory of faith. The kids are going to remember, we got reprimanded for coming to Jesus. Now you understand why Jesus was so indignant. That negative impact could be a permanent memory. Now, let's go back to our Christmas discussion one more time. Okay? Go back to the people you talked with earlier and talk about a negative childhood Christmas memory. Now, share only what you're comfortable sharing. Let's not bring out all the skeletons out of our closet and completely get depressed, okay? But what is a negative childhood Christmas memory? For me, I remember getting yelled at once for wanting to play with a game that wasn't mine on Christmas. I remember who yelled at me, where I was when I got yelled at, and the game that I wanted to play when I got yelled at. That was 40 years ago. I still remember all of that, okay? Okay, take a couple minutes, share a negative Christmas memory from your childhood, and go. Okay. Hopefully I wasn't too depressing. I don't see anybody crying, so that's good. Um, you know, we have a lot of kids around here. Sometimes those kids are loud. Sometimes those kids run around in places they should not run around. Now, parents, please be mindful of your kids and keep them from getting out of hand. That is important, okay? For the rest of us, some of the ways that we treat kids around here will forever impact them. Let's not forget that. They will remember getting scolded or judged or anything negative that happens. Now, kids need to be disciplined. I am a full believer in that. Um, in the other building, on the way down to the gym, many of you are familiar with this, there is a ramp that goes down to the gym. That ramp I have seen 
hundreds of kids run up and down hundreds of times. I bet you that ramp has been run up and down by kids tens of thousands of times. I am not exaggerating, okay? Next to that ramp on the wall is this little ledge. It's a pretty skinny little ledge. And guess where your kids love to go? They love to see how far they can get down that ledge. And the further they get down, the longer the drop is if they were to fall. Now, anytime I see kids on that ledge, I simply smile and I say to them, hey, um, can you come down from there? It's really dangerous. I don't want any getting hurt. There's little kids watching you, and if they say you climb down that ledge, they're going to climb down that ledge, and it's really dangerous. Um, now, I do not leave until they get down. But I will be as gentle as I can in making sure they get down. Imagine if I, the pastor, yelled at kids while they were here. How will they forever remember church if I do that? How we treat kids can become a faith hindrance to them. We need to be mindful of how we treat children both when they behave and when they don't, okay? And how do kids see us interact with others? both on Sundays and the rest of the week. Could that hinder the kids from coming to Jesus? What is something that we do, even unintentionally, that if our kids or anybody's kids saw us doing that, it would hinder them from coming to Jesus? And remember Jesus' mob boss-like warning from a couple weeks ago where he says in Matthew 18, if anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone put around their neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. Do not hinder the kids from coming to Jesus. We want to bring the kids and we do not want to hinder the kids and we want to duplicate. Duplicate by becoming like the kids. As Jesus said in verse 15 of our passage, truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. We are called to receive the kingdom like children. Why might that be? For most kids, their lives are lives of dependence. They have to trust in someone bigger in them who loves them to survive and thrive. Kids need someone bigger than them that they can trust in in order to survive and thrive. And that can be parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, teachers, coaches, any adult in their life. Children need someone bigger than them to trust in to survive and thrive. As we get older, we depend on others less. And the only problem is that in order to get uh, to be independent, we need to have more control. Now, on one level, control is good. Um, we need self-control. That's really important. We need to be disciplined. We need, we need to practice self-denial. We need to be able to experience delayed gratification. Control becomes a problem when we try to control things outside our power or authority. We can't control others. We can't control all of our circumstances. We can't control the future. We can influence those things. We cannot control them. We need to control what we can, and we need to accept the things outside of our control. And we need to become like kids and believe that there is someone bigger than us who loves us.
and trust in God because of Christ Jesus. Proverbs 3 says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways submit to him and he will make your paths straight. You know, and my wife and I, we found ourselves recently saying often, hey, we just need to trust in God's timing. Things don't always work out the way we want them to work out when we want them to work out. And we all need to continue to do our part and be responsible and trust that God continues to watch out over us. And when you trust in Jesus, there is nothing wrong with believing that everything's going to be okay when things don't go your way. There is nothing wrong with believing it's all going to be just fine, even when things don't go your way. That is called childlike faith. So we bring the kids, we don't hinder the kids, we duplicate to become like them, and then we delight. We receive blessings like kids. One last look at the passage in verse 16. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. Jesus took the kids in his arms, placed his hands, blesses them. How cool would that be? If Jesus were to place his hands on you and bless you, I bet those kids, they had to be super excited. How cool was that? You know, kids know. Kids know how to receive gifts. They are great at receiving gifts. Children are in the perfect position to receive the kingdom because children know how to receive gifts. When an adult gets a wrapped gift, what happens? Well, we carefully open up the wrapping paper because you know, we treat it like the wrapping paper has feelings or something like that. We don't want to hurt the paper. Look, you're not going to hurt the paper. It doesn't have feelings. Just tip, rip it open. It's okay. And then when we open the gift and we look at it, we give the polite thank you and put the gift back in the box. So we do as adults. How do kids unwrap gifts? Well, they unwrap gifts like this. This is how they unwrap gifts. This is what it looks like. Okay? It's like a tornado has just hit the house. It's a huge mess. They just tear in. Why? Because kids love getting gifts. They understand delight. Now, have you ever gotten a box of candy as a gift? You know, like a box of C's candy or Russell Stover chocolate, something like that. Well, what do adults do? Well, we open up the box and maybe we look inside and see what kind of chocolate is what. And then we carefully pick out one piece of chocolate. And the piece of chocolate is like this big and we still take like five bites to eat it because we eat it very daintily. Okay? Um, how do kids eat chocolate? Well, kids eat chocolate like this. This is what they look like. Okay? Kids have to take a bath after eating chocolate. It's a mess. They just tear in and enjoy. Why? Because kids love getting gifts. They know delight. Many of us adults have lost the art of delight. Delight, it means enjoy. It means lose yourself in your joy where things like proper manners go out the window because what you've received is just so cool. When was the last time you were so jazzed that you lost yourself in joy? Kids know, kids know that most things in life are gifts. 
Why? Because they've been given everything. James 1 says, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Every good gift you have received comes from the Father. And you have worked hard for many of the good things you have. But just because you worked hard for many of the good things you have doesn't mean they're not gifts. Your existence is a gift. Your talents are gifts. The people who invested in you are gifts. The opportunities you've had are gifts. Your life lessons are gifts. And while you haven't been given everything, make no mistake, without the good gifts from God, you would have nothing. And as we learn from kids, the appropriate response to gifts is delight. How much delight do you have in the gifts you've received? Look, there are moments in our lives when we have windows of opportunity. Windows of opportunity, moments to impact the faith in kids. But we also have windows of opportunity, moments to have the faith of kids. What do you need to do to maximize these moments? Is it bring the kids, not hinder them, become like them, receive blessings like them? What do you need to do to make the most of the window of opportunity that you have before you right now? Please pray with me. And Lord, we thank you for every good gift that you have given us. And Lord, I would ask that you would give us eyes to see the windows of opportunity that you have set before us. And Lord, help us to not miss them. Lord, give us whatever it is, whether it's energy or strength or perseverance or patience or, if, or even just perspective, to make the most of the opportunities before us. And Lord, help us um, not to dwell on regret, on missed opportunities, but Lord, to seek the most of what you have in front of us. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.